I read from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of God. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. Father, as we look into your word to prepare our hearts for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would stir our hearts to reach out to you, to receive grace from you. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I dig into this passage, one question that I want to address is, why do we always preach before all of the sacraments, sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, as well as having a regular sermon? And the reason for it is that the Protestant church unanimously uh, brought our understanding back to the really understanding of the church in the first thousand years that there is no sacrament without the preaching of the word. You're just going to be eating something without the preaching of the word. Um, the Roman Catholics separated the word from the sacrament, claimed that it had a power independent of the word, but it does not. But just as there is no sacrament without the preaching of the word, there is no sacrament without the presence and the grace of God. In Revelation 2, Jesus had left the church, was standing outside the church, knocking on the church door, and his invitation was, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Everybody else in that church may have been eating bread and wine, but they were not eating and drinking with Jesus. That's very clearly what the text says. And Paul told the church in Corinth much the same. He said that because they were violating the heart of what that meal spoke about, and it's Christ's grace uniting us with him, with the body of Christ, he says what they were doing was not really a sacrament. It's very interesting. He, he said... Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And then he went on to say what they were eating. He said what they were eating was of no more spiritual benefit than what they eat at home in a regular meal. It was not a sacrament. That's what Paul was saying. And so the power of these sacraments come as we approach them by faith, with understanding of God's word and the power of God's presence uh, with us. And that's what the first chapter of Colossians was talking about. It was a ministry he had received of the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he called upon people to receive it by faith. And so in the first three verses here, there are uh, six logical conclusions from that scripture-based ministry. And the first is that this scripture-based ministry drove Paul to depend upon God. Okay? He um, received this ministry from God, but wow, it was so impossible, it drove him back to God. Verse 1 says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Now you study that word conflict and how Paul uses it. Commentators point out he's talking about wrestling with God in prayer on their behalf. They were coming under spiritual attack. He was going to God in prayer. Well, that's what the Lord's table reminds us of every time. We cannot do it apart from his grace. 
If we enter into the battle alone without God, we are in deep trouble. So prayer is our acknowledgement that without him we can do nothing. But Paul's ministry was secondly a ministry of encouragement. Verse 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged. Now yes, he brought a lot of rebukes. But overall, it was a word of encouragement. Now, commentaries point out that the Greek word here is a very interesting word uh, because it is an encouragement via exhortation. In other words, it is a word-based encouragement. And other commentaries point out that this is one of the names of the Holy Spirit, paraclete, uh, hinting at the source of that encouragement. Uh, even though this table here is bad news to those who partake while they're rebelling. Primarily, it's the good news. It's a word of encouragement. Third, Paul engaged in ministry for a purpose. He says that being knit together in love. Now, that's an incredibly strong statement. Uh, think of his ministry as being with knitting needles. I'm not holding them right, am I? Uh, knitting needles. And God's ministry is being knitting needles in our lives. And he's not satisfied with them loving each other. He wants that love to be so deep that they are knitted inseparably to one another. He wanted them committed to each other despite differences. Now that Greek word is a curious word as well. Commentators point out that the Greek word for knit together is 100% of the time used in the Septuagint for a nuance of instruction, uh, instruction that takes place. So this knitting, and it's clearly an idea of knitting together, is a word-based knitting that comes through instruction. Now, one commentary was actually puzzled by this. Most commentaries weren't, but one commentary said, it's very weird. There is instruction in this encouragement, but teaching, however, he says, does not occur in this context, and the connection between instruction and love is awkward. Well, I don't think it's awkward at all. How does the Bible define love? It's not a feeling, is it? It is something we are instructed in because love is the keeping of God's commandments. And in the Gospel of John and in 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, it's love in the truth. So it is a word-based love. Now, on the other hand, if like Corinth, we ignore the truth and we partake of the table while insisting on being alienated from one another, then we are ignoring a central truth that this table points towards, and that is that we are knit together as one body. Knitting together is a central function of the scripture. It's a central function of this sacrament of the Lord's table. And I think we can evaluate how well is my life being involved in God's ministry or how much am I submitting to God's ministry in my life? Well, we can, we can evaluate it by how uh, much the knitting is frayed and being torn apart and uh, falling apart. The next thing that Paul prayed for was that they, had, they would have assurance in spades, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now again, notice that this assurance is not presumption based on feeling. It is based on understanding. The better our understanding of God's plan of salvation, which uh, Pastor Swab has been going through, the more assurance we are going to have. Uh, Paul here not only wants us to have assurance, he wants us to have full assurance. And he doesn't just want us to have full assurance, but the riches of full assurance. And not just the riches of full assurance, but all riches of full assurance. Now, why does he pray that for us? Because we can lose it. 
And we do lose this assurance over and over again. Sometime, I'm not going to go into it, but study the first chapter of 2 Peter, and he talks about this full assurance that we can have, but he says, here are some necessary things that you absolutely must have in your life, and they are all connected. They're like a chain. If any one of those is missing, then you are going to lose your assurance. You're going to become short-sighted almost to blindness. And he says almost, because true believers can't be blind, but almost to blindness. But he says, if you have all of these things, you have a full entrance into God's kingdom, fullness of life. You've got fullness of assurance in your life. So the Lord's table is the seal or the pledge that God has given to us of those riches. Next, Paul wants us to have a knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ. Now, mystery was something unknown and unknowable apart from revelation. It is a secret revealed. Well, the Bible is that revelation that leads us to the secrets of how to know God. And uh, he defines God here as both the Father and Christ. It's a great proof of uh, the divinity of Christ. But that should be our goal, to know him. That was Paul's goal in the book of Philippians, that I might know him. And then against the heretical proto-Gnostics who promised secret knowledge to those who would go through their initiation rites, Paul says, nonsense, you already have everything that you need um, because the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that's verse 3, has already given absolutely everything you need for life and godliness in the Scriptures. Everything you need in the Scriptures for life and godliness. So... As you come to the table to commit yourself uh, to the Lord, commit yourself to these six things. A prayer-saturated Christianity that depends on God's grace. A willingness to be encouraged. Not everybody wants to be encouraged, believe it or not. They might say they do, but they persist in their despair. They persist in their moping. But a willingness to be encouraged by the Scriptures and to not give up hope. Third, a willingness to notice where the yarn has frayed in your relationships and to offer up your relationships for God's knitting machine. Lord, this yarn needs to be fixed <laughs> and uh, I want these relationships fixed in my life. Fourth, to derive our assurance from the scriptures and the scriptures alone. Some people have a fake assurance that's not grounded on the Bible. Fifth, to not just read the Bible academically, but to get to know God through the scriptures. And then finally, to acknowledge that the owner of all knowledge has already given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for the riches that you have given to us in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we take those for granted. We ask you to forgive us for doing that. Help us as we come to this table uh, to commit ourselves to entering more and more to everything that Jesus has purchased for us and to find great comfort and great joy in doing so. And we pray as we come to this table that you would set aside these common elements to a holy use, that you would be glorified in our partaking, we would be edified, strengthened, built up in you. We come to this table not thinking of it as some magical rite, but as a very visible, tangible preaching of the gospel. May each one of us uh, believe the message that is preached in it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.